Hi, this is David Vanderveen, and you are listening to Season 4, the new season of the Kick Aspirational Podcast, which of course is all about helping people break through barriers in their life. And um, and so I thought I'd talk this this in this new year, 2021. Thank God we got here. I mean, wow, what a year we had in 2020. Um, in fact, let me just start by saying that my family and I are more grateful for our health, for the learning we've had this year through failures and successes, and that there just seems to be a way out of the COVID nightmare, you know, via via vaccination and or herd immunity. I mean, uh, regardless of what we each choose to do and how we how we work through this rabbit's warren of craziness that has marked 2020 indelibly in our lives, I thought I'd wrap up 2020 and kick off 2021 by answering the question my younger son Willem asked me recently when he came home from Paris for the holidays. He asked me, what do you do now? And uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of changes in my own life this year, and and uh, I had to think about that question for a while. What was I doing? Who was I? Um, what does life mean when all of the busy things we tie our ego to wash away? After we've won the prizes, gotten the trophies, earned the money, and our email inbox is relatively empty... The work texts go away, and there is no title to define us. Who are we, and what do we do? That that, that question can be a little confusing. So what I said to Willem was, I swim. I swim in my trunks with a mask, fins and snorkel, and I hunt for abalone. I look for the live ones in our coves and reefs and for the shells. Um, when I come home, I show your mother the shells. They're these big kind of bowl-like shells that are like, you know, they have mother of pearl on the inside. They're gorgeous. Um, and she pretends to be impressed and tells me how pretty they are, and I pretend that it matters. <laughs> to me, um, the free diving has been cathartic. I've been doing a lot of it. Um, it's been a meditative release for me. I've fallen in love with the cold water this winter. It's been, you know, the ocean here in Southern California has been in the, in the 50s for a while now, and that exposure becomes addictive. Um, I, I love to swim in that cold water in my trunks. And, and I miss it if I don't get into the water every day. I, I really crave it. And I don't mean just a dip. I mean full immersion, free diving, just in my trunks. I absolutely love it. I crave it. And, and learning to endure the cold has led me to breath work and more meditation. Um, the Wim Hof method in particular has been profoundly helpful, but other breath practices like Kundalini are helpful as well. There's a whole range of breath practices. And in fact, if you haven't picked up James Nestor's uh, book, Breath, and read it yet, you should. I'll, I'll link uh, one of his videos and Wim Hof's to the notes in this podcast, but please take a, take, take a minute to watch them. So when Willem asked me what I do now, it took a minute because so much has happened in the last 12 months. Um, this last year marked a lot of changes for Sarah, or as we call her, Sissy, my wife, and me. The boys are largely out, out on their own now. They're working and going to graduate schools. Uh, last January, I had left the brand and business that I founded, Excess. We sold it and and had a very successful earnout with with the partner that bought it from us from Amway. And I was operating a public business that merged with a similar size company. So I'd gone to a new a, a new job. Um, one of the 
partners that I invest with, um, Byron Roth and Roth Capital. You know, I'm a part of a fund called RX3. It's a it's a private equity fund that invests in, in emerging brands with influencers. Well, Byron Roth, who's one of my partners, had raised a lot of money for New Age, and so he asked me if if I would go and work with them. Their CEO Brent Willis, you know, had become a good friend. He asked me to come work for them. And so I did. I thought it was be, be an interesting challenge in a new year. Um, and uh, and so through that, you know, through that process, I went there to help them build it. Uh, we did a merger, and um, and and you know, um, our public business merged with a similar size company. And, and so through that merger, my three year contract was bought out. They already had. I was a chief operating officer. They had already had a president. A chief operating officer didn't need another one, so they bought out my my three year contract. It was you know very good for us, and 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 I think very good for for the company. I continue to consult with them for uh, through through January this year. Um. But although that was kind of unplanned and 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 very positive, um, almost simultaneously we also sold our family home in Laguna Beach that Sarah and I basically built about fifteen years ago, um, and and we moved into uh, some one hundred year old, very rustic, uh, very rootsy cottages that we bought a couple years ago uh, in one of the prettiest coves of our little seaside community. So you know, here we are. We've we've changed a lot of things, and um, you know, uh, basically, so, you know, left the brand and business I'd been building for almost twenty years. Uh, went to a new company. We merged that company with another similar size company. It was very very good for the business. Very good for me. Um, but all of a sudden, here I am living in these you know these old cottages because we we had basically listed our big house and. We got hung up in COVID with our cottages, so we couldn't remodel them. And so, anyways, we sold our house, big house, moved into these little 1,200-square-foot cottages, and, you know, life is different um, in a really cool way. And, you know, it's kind of funny when I look back at last year, everyone has challenges they hit. But, um, you know, in, in our business, in this global business I was running, New Age Beverages, um, COVID started hitting that global business in China almost as soon as I started, you know, last last January. And by March, most of our markets, you know, throughout Europe and, and the Americas were going into lockdown. We made a lot of great progress during that time, you know, switching over to digital, moving on to Zoom, turning around that business and merging with a great partner. Uh, the revenue and the earnings in that company have doubled since since I had started there. Share price has, has effectively doubled. Distributors are making more money. They're earning more equity. Um, and so, you know, a lot of success there. Um, but when I was bought out after seven months and we had moved from a large home to our little cottages on the coast, I really had to shift gears. And so most of the past decade, you know, my work has been traveling around the world, usually eight to 10 months a year through the Americas, Europe, Asia, even parts of Africa. And being locked down at, at home was strangely relieving. I didn't have to pack bags every week. Um, not not traveling and being home with Sissy 24-7 was probably a good change. But it's not always easy. <laughs> There's a big adjustment there. And so we started doing things together. We started hiking the back canyons near our home, you know, last spring and summer. And then we moved to this this beautiful little cove in Laguna. Um, I mean, we were on the hill in Laguna. Now we're in a cove in Laguna, less than a mile away. But we had to put a lot of things into storage. We moved from a 4,600-square-foot house to 1,200-square-foot of, you know, single-wall construction, <laughs> very old board and batten cottages. And, um, 
and it was a purge. It was a cleansing, and it, and you know it was partially an accident selling our existing home before we started the, you know, the renovation we had planned on the cottages, but also, kind of by design after being you know having been busy, uh, fun, wild, and having an overly complicated life, we had been moving towards a simpler life, simpler living. This is something we had we had wanted to do and had been planning. So, you know, it's funny, most of my clothing now is simply swim trunks, t-shirts, flip-flops, and some version of a sports shoe. Our family equivalent of surfboards is slimmed down to under 20. You know, we used to have, um, you know, probably over 50. And uh, we have four surfers in our family, I should add. And my water time has risen exponentially. Um, our cove is about two blocks long, north to south, and it's fairly protected from swell by rocky points filled with caves, channels, and pinnacles of reef that make for amazing free diving. And after our move in August, I started diving and exploring our corner of Laguna Beach every day, mostly without a wetsuit. There's all sorts of nooks and crannies to check out, and and more than that, I, 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 the more I go back to look, the more there is to see. There's tides, seasons, swells, water clarity, sunlight, it all changes. Some fish and wildlife migrate, and some stay with us all year. Some days, a little chubby harbor seal will play hide-and-seek with me, while other days, dolphins cruise through our cove or whales might pass by. But if you look closely in the smaller holes and cracks, you'll find something that almost went extinct and is making a comeback. Abalone. As I looked more closely at the reefs, holes, rocks, and caves, I noticed more and more of the large, these, these large bowl-like shellfish that affix themselves to our reefs, almost like big suction cups. They're hard to see at first because they're, um, they look a lot like the reef itself. The back of their shell is kind of usually covered with some, you know, some moss and seaweed and things like that, and they don't move fast. So they're just kind of sitting there you know, in holes, just kind of clipped onto the reef. And uh, so 60 years or so ago, there were so many abalone on reefs that people would pry them off the rocks at low tide with, with ab irons, these little flat irons or crowbars that people use to, to pull sh- shellfish off. Um, and between over-harvesting these abs and then pollution, the abalone largely died off in much of Southern California. Um, in fact, uh, over the past decade, people like Nancy Caruso here in Laguna Beach uh, have started Kelpreus, you know, rebuilding the kelp uh, forests off the coast, but also reseeding abalone and white sea bass populations. Um, they've been diving, they've been documenting, they've been seeding these, they've been doing amazing work. And so Laguna Beach um, really has become a marine sanctuary. We actually became officially a marine preserve. You can't even spearfish in Laguna anymore. Um, about the same time, about a decade or so ago. And our coast is now teeming with, with kelp and fish and, and crustaceans, abalone again. So when the water is clear and calm and you're diving without tanks, without bubbles and gadgets and wetsuits and weight belts, buoyancy compensators and all the noise of scuba, when you're diving without all that, the ocean is magic. It almost feels like flying, silently sneaking up on you know some of the fish on our reefs, like these big, fat, chubby calico bass. They almost look like grouper. They're getting so big now. Um, Garibaldi, the orange, bright orange state fish that, that populate our reefs. You know, uh, seals and rays, you know, they, they don't hear you coming because you're not using, you're not breathing. Um, and, then, and then, you know, listening to your breath, hearing your body tell you that, um, you know, that, that you have too much CO2 building up. So, you know, you're you take a big inhale when you when you dive, 
and then as as the CO2 builds up in your body because you, you're using the oxygen and your body's converting that to CO2, as your CO2 builds up, your carbon dioxide di- builds up, your body starts telling you that you're running out of air. It's an interesting conversation. It's an internal conversation. And you have to manage that when you're free diving because, you know, it, it doesn't mean you're actually out of air when your CO2 is building up. It just means that, you know, you, you should be aware of it. And so you have to have a conversation with your body. Thank you for telling me that I need more air. I'm not ready to go up yet, but I will be at some point. And, um, and, this, and so that becomes kind of part of the meditation, part of the background noise that you're going through. And so does the cold. Um, people have asked recently to go swimming or diving with me. You know, they, they see through social media and down at the beach that, that, that I'm doing this. And so I have a group of friends that will do this from time to time together with me. My sons do it with me. Um, and I like to introduce people to the cold. We usually do some breath work before we go out uh, to center our minds and bodies to prepare. We maybe do a horse stance. You, know, you kind of stand with your legs spread apart, shoulder length, and you squat into it. And then you breathe strongly. You do some resistance movements with your upper body. And then I like to prepare a little for the immersion. You've got to kind of you got to know what you're getting into, you know. And so the first 10 to 20 strokes uh, into a cold ocean, it's, it's not always nice. Even now when I, when I crave the cold, there's a feedback loop somewhere in the back of my head telling me all the reasons not to do it. But you have to push through that and do it anyways. You have to thank that feeling you initially hate. Thank your body for fighting it. Thank the cold for all the benefits that it will bring. The anti-inflammation, the endorphin release, the conversation with our body. Um, I, I thank it for that. I know I don't, you know, there's a, it's, dis, it's uncomfortable. It's, it provide, creates a lot of discomfort. But I know that I need to thank that discomfort, be aware of that discomfort, and engage, engage and embrace that discomfort. And so I let guests know, people who are going to go with me, I say, look, when I go out in the water, I, I rinse my mask, I dunk myself, I stand up, I put the mask on, and then I just dive in, put my fins on, and go. I'm not going to wait for my friends and try and talk them into it. I'll be busy talking to my body and to the cold. I'm going into that meditation. And they need to go to and have their own conversations. So I just, I go in, I tell them what we're going to do, and then I do it and I'm just swimming. And I know that the first 10 to 20 strokes is going to be kind of unpleasant and then my body's going to adjust and it's going to feel exhilarating. And and you just, you've got to just push through it and you got to do it because you know what's coming on the other side. The cold, when you go in, will initially take your breath away. And when you, when it does, then you kind of you need to breathe it out. You need to kind of get some, some heavy breathing going to manage it. You need to move and breathe. The breath holds are harder when the water's colder because you're not relaxed, you're tense, and you're trying to, it's trying to steal your breath. But it also makes you work on the breathing more, focus more on relaxing and, and letting go, and, and the conversation in your head, and to separate yourself from that conversation so you can focus again on the breathing and the breath holding. The reactions, the other behaviors that aren't helping you dive in the cold, you need to separate yourself from that. And the only way you can do that is by taking a meditative kind of stance with it. Um, A friend sent me a video on Instagram of a man walking in the desert talking about how psychedelics can help people see themselves apart from their trauma and the behavioral loops that can express themselves, such as mental illness, things like PTSD, OCD, etc. And I think the benefits of diving in the cold of that breath work, of that meditation, of that conversation, 
uh, really gives you this mindfulness and, and this meditative stance that offers similar benefits. It's, it allows you to see yourselves separately from the things that are happening to, to you. It you know, allows you to separate yourself from the reactions that naturally occur and manage them and work through that and, and get to the other side. Um, and I, I think what it also does is, it, is it, that that same um, approach becomes an analogy or metaphor for how to approach life. You know, if you think about it, if you've been an athlete, you, know, you start to love the workout because the pain of the workout is what's going to help you and allow you to perform at a higher level. And and I think that's the same thing here. It's when you're when you're able to engage and embrace that discomfort because you know something good's coming on the other side of it. It allows you to separate yourself from the reaction that you're going to have. This fall, a series of people told me that I needed to watch My Octopus Teacher, um, a documentary on Netflix about a South African man, Craig Foster, who had endured trauma professionally and in his personal life. So he moved back to his family cottage on the coast of the Cape of Storms or the Cape of Good Hope you know, in South Africa where the water's cold, it's in the 40s and 50s. And he decided to start diving every day without a wetsuit, although he does wear a a neoprene hood, in a protected cove where he discovered an octopus. The film's beautiful. You really need to watch it. I'll I'll put a a link to the the trailer here on the the notes for this podcast. Um, And it's really about this man. I mean, it does involve an octopus, but it's really about this man who found redemption via an animal that felt alien at first. Octopi are such strange creatures and have such remarkable ability to adapt, to camouflage, to shapeshift. You know, they can just shift colors instantly. They can change their body shape. There's so many things that they do. But he later says, he says, look, as you get closer to them, you realize you're, you're very similar in many ways. And so Foster's transformation came from sensing his own vulnerability in a violent and unforgiving ocean that was connected to a realization that the sea, the flora and fauna, even what appeared to be the alien octopus, who became familiar with him, who was like coming up to him and kind of cuddling with him and playing with him, were all vulnerable and all connected. He says the octopus taught me to feel that you're a part of that place and not a visitor. And that's a huge difference. And like Craig Foster, I'm grateful for the trauma of 2020. It has been a very difficult year in many ways, and I hope we never have to repeat it. The sickness, the death, the destruction of people's businesses, their work, their jobs, their lives. No one wishes that for anyone. When trauma visits us, I believe that we have to learn to deal with it, to embrace it, to get through it, to breathe into it, and to understand that we aren't alien to it, but that it's part of what defines us and that we are, and that we are all connected to each other and to it. You can't just ignore it. You can't just pretend it didn't happen. You have to embrace the negative and the positive into a unified whole, a unified existence. And so when I go out you know, for my swims, the hunt for abalone and my relationship with them and their shells, it's sort of akin to Foster and his one-year relationship with an octopus. The abalone don't wrap their tentacles around my fingers or play with me. They're they're not as dynamic as as a cephalopod, but they have unbelievably beautiful shells that shine on the inside in pinks and silvers and blues and greens and purples. And after the animal leaves that shell behind, The shell endures if you care for them. Some of those shells I keep, I clean and preserve them, and some I share and some we put back into the sea. We treat them like library books. We enjoy until we're done appreciating them and then we return them. 
my hunting and finding shells isn't like building a brand or, a, or running a business. There isn't a measurable, measurable return on investment. Uh, but the way that it has transformed my interior during a dark year has made me a better person, and I'm very grateful for that. Someone asked Sarah and me if we missed our bigger, newer, and more modern house on the hill. It was a great home. It is a great home. We sort of hesitated for a moment and both said that we didn't. We bought the cottages to simplify our lives. We thought we'd remake them before we moved into them, but that wasn't what happened. We are living in single wall, meaning like the boards you see on the outside are the boards that are the inside. Board and bat 1921 construction that feels like it's about to fall over at times. And it's been uniquely grounding. It has brought us into this place, and we feel like we are a part of it and not just visitors. As I'm drafting this monologue, I'm sitting in front of our relatively ancient fireplace. Sissy's reading a book, and I can hear waves crashing in the cove on the cliff cliff below. The soundtrack of our life has changed, and it's the sound of the ocean of our earth. We are so much better for it. 2021 is already bringing many important and exciting changes. I'll begin traveling again. We may be spending more time away from our coven cottages as we begin a new chapter, a new adventure on a new continent. But the trauma of 2020 is undeniably marked on our DNA. I believe we have a choice how we will respond to that trauma, how we will let it shape us through the reaction of our bodies at the essence of our being. You know, we can't often control the environment around us, but we can control our response to it. We can choose to be grateful and to learn. We can choose to adapt and be a part of it in ways that reshape us and transform us into something better. Thank you, 2020. Thank you, COVID. Thank you, cold water and violent ocean. And thank you, Abalone, for teaching me, for embracing me and for transforming me. We are all a part of it all. We are all connected. And understanding that has helped me and has made a huge difference. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. It is not a spectator sport. I hope you benefit from embracing 2020, reminding yourself what 2020 was, reminding yourself what COVID was, that you learn from it. Doesn't mean it was great, doesn't mean it was good. Could have been maybe in many ways one of the most evil years many of us have experienced but it is going to be a part of who we are and what defines us. And how we respond and react to it is the choice we get to make. The Kick Aspirational Podcast is, as I said, is not a spectator sport. So whatever you do this week, please get out there and be Kick Aspirational.